welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 1 at verse 11. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 1 of the book of 2 Thessalonians where it says this. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to finish up the uh, first chapter of 2 Thessalonians with this third episode here. That means that uh, this whole chapter can be uh, framed as a title or as a, uh, as a point of the outline itself, uh, just as each chapter can be done in this particular uh, letter by Paul uh, to this church. Uh, the, uh, the first chapter could easily be titled Persecution Waiting with Courage. And uh, technically speaking, it's, it starts in verse 3 all the way through verse 11. Uh, the uh, second chapter is prophecy, waiting with composure. And uh, that, of course, is the entire chapter, verses 1 through 17. And then there's the third chapter, which is uh, the third part of the outline, and that is uh, practice, that is working with commitment, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And then there is a signature at the end, of verses 16 through 18. So this chapter then can be divided into three segments. Uh, we've already talked about the thanksgiving that Paul had to give uh, for this particular church. And he, he in fact, uh, thanked God for this church in the first letter. This was a, a church that gave Paul the, a lot of motivation to thank God for them. And uh, they were just uh, that kind of group of people, I guess. And uh, that was verses 3 and 4. Then there was this uh, center section, verses 5 through 10, that uh, is Paul's encouragement to them in the face of this continued persecution. And in fact, it uh, seems to have gotten worse along the way. Then Paul concludes this chapter about persecution and about waiting with courage for the coming of the Lord. And uh, he does so uh, with this prayer, verses 11 and 12. This prayer then can also be uh, divided into three parts. The first part is uh, uh, in verse Verse 11, the first half of verse 11, and that talks about the worthy of God's calling. And then uh, the second half of verse 11 talks about the power for your purpose. And then verse 12 talks about glorified in our Lord Jesus. So those kind of uh, break down this uh, prayer by Paul. And we get great insight, I believe, if we looked at what Paul prayed for. Uh, that gives us an idea of his priorities. That gives us an idea of the kinds of things that he would center in on. These are the things that he brings to God uh, on behalf of the people he is investing in. Um, and this uh, local church in particular, it's, uh, it's telling, you might say, about what Paul prays for these people, because after 
after all, he's a, he has a lot to give thanks for. And he, uh, he started out the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians with that thanksgiving, you might say. In verses 3 and 4, it says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love with, of, we, of each one of you toward one another grows even ever greater. Uh, therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among all the churches uh, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So he is acknowledging even at the front of this book how much he thanks God for uh, what God is uh, uh, doing in them as a congregation, especially in the face of these things that they uh, they are encountering, that includes uh, outright persecution, and uh, we're, we don't know the details of what that uh, persecution uh, perhaps looked like, but we do know that this was pretty intense. So that's where uh, Paul begins to pray. He's already talked about uh, the enemies of uh, uh, those who are doing the persecution, those who uh, do not know God, and uh, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, he says in verse 9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So he's made this statement about the fact that these people in eternity will not uh, face uh, uh, heaven at all. They will not face the presence of the Lord at all. In fact, uh, they uh, and for those who may think that uh, uh, hell or the eternal judgment is somehow unfair or somehow uh, uh, brutal or cruel or unusual kind type punishment, I just want to remind you that the, that this description here that. Uh, uh, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You see, God's judgments almost always are completely consistent with the rebellion or with the disobedience itself. In fact, uh, you might actually say uh, that uh, God gives people exactly what they've always wanted. In other words, these people have always wanted a life without God. They've always wanted a life without any influence from Christ. They've always wanted a life independent from the glory of God and the glory of Christ and the work of Christ and the messages of Christ and the truth of Christ and the and the preaching of Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection and, and his church. They want nothing to do with it, with uh, any of that. And so since they do not uh, want anything to do with it, then that's exactly what God gives them, is a place in the universe, someplace, uh, somewhere, uh, where God's presence is not felt, where his goodness is not a factor, where Christ's substitutionary death is not an influence anymore. Not the name, not the glory, not the work, uh, any of God's goodness or any of his blessings or any of his kindnesses, uh, they are not there. And that's exactly what makes it uh, a place of eternal uh, destruction. So that's the reason why in the face of uh, what uh, God has in store for the enemies, you might say, the enemies of uh, the gospel, then uh, 
then he knows that uh, what he what uh, God has in mind for those who believe in Christ is that uh, uh, when he comes to be glorified in his saints. And so that is the ultimate goal. That's the target that Jesus is aiming at. You see, that was the target all along when he faced the cross, even in the Garden of Gethsemane and before. He faced the cross with this perspective in mind that he would win those souls who would trust in him and they would uh, they would then be with him he was winning those people to himself he was paying the penalty for them to come with him and uh, so that they could share in his righteousness they could share in his glory so to this end you see that's that's what paul prays for in verse 11. To this end, uh, we are praying for that. And it seems rather odd uh, that Paul would pray for something that that he knows that God is working toward already. In other words, this is one of God's goals, you might say, is to bring us into fullness uh, with Christ, bring our maturity to be with Christ so that uh, we look like him, we, we, uh, uh, we have his character reflected in us, uh, we have his resurrected body that we live in, uh, that he has now resurrected our bodies to reflect his glory. And so, and so that uh, they will then have the capacity for eternal existence in his presence and in his glory. So uh, Paul is praying for this end. Uh, and so that seems rather odd. In other words, Paul, if, if you know that that's where God is working toward, then already, then why do you have to pray for it? It seems a little like a, a redundancy of some sort, or maybe just a needless effort. And yet, uh, and yet that's that's somewhat about uh, what a lot of prayers are for. We pray for the very things that we know God is working toward. And that's not redundancy. It is sh- showing that we want to cooperate with his goal. We want to cooperate with his work in us and through us. We want to cooperate with that. So our prayers indicate that cooperation. Our prayer to him, praying for the very things that we know he is already working working at, we are cooperating with that work toward the end, toward his goal, toward his target, and uh, what he wants to accomplish. If he wants to accomplish his glory in us, then it is perfectly okay to pray for that glory and to pray that we can uh, respond to him, respond to his Holy Spirit in us, respond to his word in us, uh, so that we start reflecting now, uh, uh, so that we can be complete then. And uh, that's exactly what he prays for. To this end also, we pray for you always. This is a constant thing with Paul. He, uh, he constantly prays for, for the uh, Thessalonians. And, uh, uh, and, and in fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, we can uh, read that for, for just a moment here, just to catch a, a, a tone of, of Paul's voice, or a, at least a, uh, an indicator of 
where he's going here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, For what thanks can we render, render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may be complete, uh, that is, may complete what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11 of uh, chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, he concludes that chapter this way. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as also uh, we also uh, do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with his saints. So he is praying for the very things that he knows God is working toward when Jesus comes. We will be glorified in Christ, and Christ will be glorified by our glory in him. So it's a double reflection, you might say. We reflect his glory because he lives in us, and we we are obedient to him. And then then he is glorified by that glory because he is now expanded into all of these believers and their lives, and they will be revealed at his coming. Uh, You may not be able to tell the difference quite yet uh, between the believers and the non-believers, but there will be uh, a revelation of that uh, in uh, days to come and in the future and in eternity. So, That is exactly what Paul is praying for, uh, that our God will count you worthy of your calling now. And this is what Paul is praying for them now. He he prayed for them uh, different things in uh, in the first epistle. Now he's praying that God would count them uh, worthy of their calling. And this word count is uh, sometimes translated in the King James as reckon. And that means God has imputed something. He has declared something to be true upon you. And we're going to get into that right after this musical interlude. We get to the meat, you might say, of this prayer by Paul uh, for this congregation. And he, he basically says that our God, our God will count you worthy of your calling. And that word count means to reckon or to consider it to be so. Now, God isn't playing games with himself. He's not uh, self-deceptive here. He is just declaring something to be true. That's the essence of this word. Uh, the, uh, uh, the word, if you were to look it up in a Bible dictionary or a theological dictionary, it's the word 
uh, imputed or imputation. That means the declaration of something to be true over a person or anything else as far as that's concerned. But in this case, it is count you worthy of your calling. That doesn't mean we are necessarily unworthy. It means that our worthiness does come from outside of us. It doesn't come from our own production of religious activity. This worthiness comes from Christ himself, working himself in his character inside of us so that his Holy Spirit and his truth and his word begins to uh, overcome our uh, character, and it is reflected in our character, perhaps through our individual personalities, but yet it is a common character based upon the work of Christ in us, and that is what makes us worthy. Uh, the word worthy, by the way, means of equal weight, and he, God is working so that your life, your character, who you are, your identity, your reputation is is going to be matching up to your calling. He has called you to be saints, and therefore he is working to make you saints. And uh, that's what's going on here. And Paul is praying that he would count you worthy of equal weight as what he's called you to do. And God hasn't left you without the power to fulfill your calling. He's called you to do it, and then he's given you the power to do it. And that's... Uh, in essence, what uh, the next uh, several phrases are all about. It says, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Uh, Paul is praying that you have desire for goodness. You see, not only are we being made worthy through the work of Christ in us and through us, we have been declared righteous because of Jesus' substitute death on the cross on our behalf. He has paid the penalty phase. Now we're dealing with the power phase of, uh, of the influence of sin over our lives. And so in that uh, overcoming phase, of uh, of the of the uh, power of sin and the influence of sin we depend upon his power to eliminate the other force the other other energies the other influence of sin and so uh, that's god's work he has uh, given us the righteousness of Christ in in uh, declaring us righteous because of Christ, so that He could begin His internal work uh, by uh, by His work inside of us to make us uh, reflect Christ's character. First uh, Peter chapter three verses fifteen to seventeen. It says something like this, uh, with a little bit of different phrases, but it says this: "But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts." That means make Him the center point. And when you do that, it says always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, so that we have a stability about how we think about ourselves and about how we think about the world, how we think about Christ, how we think about God. And so we can give some sort of an answer to people who ask us to give an account of our beliefs. And it continues 
continues on. He says, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which they are, uh, in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So that this reflection of Christ in you will uh, put uh, your persecutors to shame, is what Peter says in verse 17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather uh, than for doing what is wrong. So don't do the wrong things and then suffer for it uh, for doing wrong things and then say, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. You're just suffering for because of your own wrong things. And uh, so if you're going to suffer, then make sure that it's because of, of the fact that you are standing with Christ and he is living his life through you in such a fashion that uh, that they don't like Jesus. And since they don't like him, then they don't like you because of Jesus in you. And uh, make sure it's that and not because of some other uh, uh, thing that you may have concocted on your own. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, uh, Paul says this about that uh, congregation, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, God has done the work to qualify us. You see, sometimes we get ourselves into this Christian uh, uh, treadmill, you might say, that we have to Christianize ourselves so much that God can't ignore us, that we're, we are more of a Christian than somebody else around us, or that uh, God is paying attention to our Christianity uh, because we're just excelling so well at it. Uh, and yet, uh, that's not the way God, God works. He doesn't just bless our great uh, Christian religion that we have learned how to practice. He wants to fill us with himself so that he can qualify us to be sharing with the saints. We, we will share with the saints of God in heaven. And as a part of partakers in that, God wants us to be partakers and he will make us partakers. He will do the work to qualify us for that entrance, you see. And, uh, and you say, well, if God's going to do it all, then I don't have to do much. Well, you, <laughs> and, and, yet, and yet God is looking for that cooperation because if you, if you resist him, then, uh, then he will just say, okay, then, then you, you're welcome to whatever it is you want. But I, uh, I'm here for a purpose and I want to accomplish the purpose. Now, I don't want to uh, misquote God, but I'm, I'm just saying that he does have this purpose. And Paul is praying for that purpose. And, uh, and uh, that is to, to have a life, a lifestyle, a character that reflects the very thing that God has purposed us for. And he is repurposing us out of sin, out of serving uh, the world, and out of serving the flesh. And he is repurposing us to serve him and to serve Christ. And uh, he has given us the equipment to do that. That's what's so intriguing. He's not just thrown out a list of things, okay, now you got to measure up. He said, here's the equipment, here are the tools. The tools include the Word of God, the written scriptures. They, it includes the Spirit of God who has been sent to live and dwell inside of you. It includes the Church of God, which is the body of believers that are gathered together in His name and uh, and are remembering Him are, and are serving Him and are serving each other uh, in the name of Christ. And so 
when we when we avail ourselves, when we uh, uh, find the equipment that God is giving us already, and then that's that that's the thing that's helping us to qualify for this uh, share in the uh, in the inheritance of the saints. So it says, uh, count you worthy of the calling and fulfill every desire of goodness. What's interesting is, you see, he puts, he puts desires in us for this goodness. You see, we wouldn't naturally just desire goodness because our selfishness would, uh, would kind of stray away from goodness. We just want to be happy. And, uh, and so in our selfishness, we try to make ourselves happy. And uh, God says, no, you, you desire goodness, but don't worry. I'm going to put the desire for goodness in you. And that's what Paul is praying for, so that God would give you uh, that desire, uh, that he would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. You see, Psalm 37 verse 4 uh, says something pretty profound that actually fits in uh, some of Paul's thinking, I believe, in this prayer. He says in uh, Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. That's the key ingredient, by the way. You see, we first have to delight ourselves in him, not necessarily delight ourselves in in uh, religion or in even church necessarily or in a Christians necessarily we are to delight, <laughs> delight ourselves in him as we delight ourselves in him then look what the rest of Psalm 37 verse 4 says and he will give you the desires of your heart now a lot of people seem to get the impression that that this is some sort of a leverage that we use in order to get answers to prayer okay well uh, I love God and I go to worship services and I give worship to God and I praise God and I, I like God a lot and, and, uh, and um, I wouldn't miss a meeting with God's people. And, uh, and, uh, and so that means uh, I can ask him for anything I want and he's going to give it to me. And, and that's not at all what this verse says. What this verse actually says, he will give you desires in your heart. That's when we delight ourselves in him, then we will start desiring the things he desires because those are his desires and they begin to be reflected in our desires. And so as we, uh, as we delight ourselves in him, then we want the things he wants and we get rid of the stuff that we might want uh, in all of our selfishness. And uh, th those things get pushed out of the way. And that's what Paul is praying here so that uh, he would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. He's talked about the fact that, that faith comes with a work. That is, the, the faith itself is the believing, but it's not a, a, an earning thing. It is receiving the grace of God by faith. We receive that by faith, and uh, it is a gift. And and yet it is a, a gift to be received with power. It's not it's not just a, a, a latent thing. It isn't just a, 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 an inanimate thing. This is something that has power. And that Greek word, by the way, uh, happens to be uh, where we get the word dynamite, although that kind of confuses people and uh, doesn't necessarily make that, uh, that we, we're going to explode. What uh, that means is that, that, that we can have the kind of faith by God's work in us that has power to it, that, uh, that has a strength to it. It has a resistance resilience in it. And uh, that's what Paul is praying for. Why? Because they're facing persecution. They need to tr 
trust God, not just for normal, everyday things. They need to trust God in the face of all these difficult circumstances that people are throwing their way. All of this abuse and all of this name-calling, all of the things that may come come with with uh, uh, not getting a job or because of Christ or being uh, deprived of a raise because of Christ or not, uh, not getting a, a promotion because of Christ. And uh, so he's saying you can hold to your faith with power. This, this is not just rolling over and playing dead. This means I am, I am holding on to my trust in the Lord Jesus. And uh, it does so with the power of God behind it. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. That means his reputation will be fulfilled in us. That's what that word, uh, his name means. It's his reputation will maintain a glory in us and we will reflect that glory of his name. We will be proclaiming his famousness and uh, we will be the reason why he becomes more famous. And that's what his, his prayer is here for the Thessalonian believers. And you and him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a gift of God's work upon us and in us. And it is his power that works these things. It is his strength that gives us the responsiveness to reflect the character of Jesus in our life. And that is the ultimate goal of praying this kind of a prayer that Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Father, we pray the same for us, that we could be filled with the, the desire for goodness that you place within us, and that we would hold to our faith with a strength that comes from your power so that we can be prepared and we can be qualified for the inheritance of the saints. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.